Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, Emmanuel. How are you feeling today? I want to first welcome everyone watching for the first time at all of our campuses, whether that's the Beta campus, Franklin campus, Garfield Park campus, or if you're watching online right now for the first time, first time here at the Greenwood campus. And I also want to welcome for the first time those watching at the Terra Treatment Center and the New Day Treatment Center, all the ladies and gentlemen there. Can we give it up for all of our first time viewers? Thank you for tuning in. And if you are not brand new, uh, welcome back. Hi. How's it going? Hey, this is our last time together before we actually celebrate Christmas, so it is time to say to each other, Merry Christmas. That's exciting. Merry Christmas to all of you guys. The next time we meet, we will be post-Christmas. Uh, if you have been coming for a while, you know we're in a series right now called The Hope of Heaven. If you haven't been coming, this is your first time. We have been talking about this concept that heaven is a hopeful concept. We've been talking about what Jesus said uh, at the start of each one of our talks. We're going to begin again with what he said in John chapter 14. Jesus said these powerful words, these hope-filled words. Listen to this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Isn't that encouraging right now in 2020? I mean, we need to hear those words. It has been a tough year. The campus pastors have been talking about that. There's been political unrest, social unrest. There's been all kinds of problems with jobs and working from home and having kids at home and people getting sick and many people have lost loved ones. It has been a, there are lots of reasons for our hearts to be troubled. Do you agree with this? Yes or no? And Jesus comes along and he says at just the right time, let not your hearts be troubled. Why? Jesus, how can we work through the difficulties in our life so that our, our hearts are not overwhelmed with trouble? He says, believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says this, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus uses these words, a house, a room, and a place. No, I wouldn't have told you that there was a house, there was a room, and a place if, there, if it wasn't so. And he says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. What is Jesus saying in this unbelievable statement that by now, many of you should have memorized, because we've talked about it three weeks in a row. Jesus is giving us hope. What is hope? We've defined hope in this series like this. It is the confident expectation of a good that is coming to us. It's what that pregnant mother feels when she knows her due date is just around the corner. It's, there's still gonna be a baby, or maybe there's gonna be a baby, get this thing out of me. I don't know if that's hope or not, but, but it's what that college student feels in the fourth year of college, maybe the fifth year of college, when the graduation date is just around the corner. It's what that engaged couple feels when they're getting closer to the date of their wedding day, right? It's that there's, there's something good coming to us, and that provides hope. 
And Jesus gives us hope because he knows we need it. Why? Because hope for the future gives us strength for today. It gives us perseverance today. It gives us steadfastness to deal with the troubles that we have today. Hope. Without hope, the light in the eyes grows dim. The energy fades from our bodies. The marriage falls apart. And we begin to think to ourselves, who really cares anyway? We need hope. And Jesus is saying the hope I want to give you is the hope of heaven. My father's house got lots of rooms. There's a place for you. And I'm going there to prepare it. And then I'm going to come back. Do you know Jesus promised when he went up into the sky 40 days after his resurrection, I will return and I will make all things new. I will restore creation. I will restore you. I will bring a new heavens and a new earth to you. And it'll be the place that you'll live forever. And it will be beautiful. It'll be a place where there is no pain, no sorrow, no death, no disease, no cancer. There'll be no evil. There'll be no sinning, no lying, no deceit, no murder, no rape, no genocide, no war. This will be the perfect place for you to live. I'm going to come back and restore all things. You need to have hope. And so that's what we've been talking about in this series, and I've been trying to give you this idea, these solid ideas of what to, what to grab a hold of. The Bible says that this hope is an anchor for our souls. It's something we can grab a hold to when life is going crazy and the waves are, are, are just kind of dashing our, our ship against the rocks. We can hold on to this hope as an anchor for our soul. Today, I want to talk to you about this third idea of what the hope of heaven really is. The hope of heaven is not only the removal of pain, that's exciting. It's not only the overthrow of evil, that's fantastic. It is also the reality that you get God. You get God. Now when I say that, you're probably like, well duh, of course God is in heaven, that's where he lives. <laughs> What's so hopeful about that? Now, that's not a new idea. In fact, that's kind of like the, those of you who went to Sunday school years ago, years ago, you know, that was a, the answer to every question in Sunday school was, Jesus! You know, you know, who did it? Jesus did it! You know, it's like, oh, you're so smart. You know, give you a sticker or something like that. But this, this sounds so, you know, simplistic. The hope of heaven is God? What does that really mean? Well, when John sees this vision of this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, and that is what will happen, we will not go there forever. Heaven will come here, and it will be a city, and you will live there, just like you live here now. Heaven will come to earth. When the city comes down, John sees something in particular about the city. Watch what he sees in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. I heard a loud voice shouting from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. How interesting. See, it's not, God's home is not here right now. It's, it's, it's in another place. But one day, his home is going to come here. And then John continues, and he says this. God will live with them, who? Us, his children. And they will be his people. And God himself will be, say it with me, with them. With them. You know, as a kid growing up, I... Um, used to think about this a lot. Maybe I was 13, 14 years old. Like, what's the point of it? Like, you, what's the point of life? Like, why are there human beings? Anybody else have this thought? <laughs> like, human beings, why do they exist? I mean, at one point, human beings didn't exist, and then they did. 
At one point, you didn't exist, and then you did. Like, what's the point? Why is there something rather than nothing? Have you ever thought about that? I know it's kind of an existential kind of a thought, but I used to have that thought as a kid. Like, why am I here? What's the answer to the question? You know, it's not that deep. The answer is all over this book. All over the Bible, we find the answer. You know what it is in your notes there? God wants to be with you. That's it. He wants to be with you. See, this book describes God as love. It says God is love, okay? That's good. Everybody know that? God is love. Did you know the book says that God is love? Yes or no? Yes or no? Come on, talk to me. Come on, come on, come on. Yeah, okay, you're alive. How about out there in the foyer, out there in the lobby? Did you know that? Awesome. I see you guys. All of our campuses watching on. So God is love. The book says God is love. Think about that. Love. How can you be love if there's no object to be loved? So by definition, God is love, but how can he be love if there's no one to love? At least no one with free will. So he had the angels, okay, but the angels don't have free will, or at least they don't right now. So God creates this creature called man. Why? To receive his love and maybe perhaps give it back to him. See, love unknown is love unfulfilled. So it's almost as if God's very nature required him to create a being that had a free choice to love him back. Hence, you. Why are you here? To receive love from God and give it back. God wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to be with you. He wants to hang out with you. He wants to make his home with you to give and receive love. He's crazy about you. You know, we're all wired this way. We really are. I remember when I was in college, I, I um, <clears throat> went on a little dating fast because I didn't know how to relate to the opposite sex in high school. I messed it all up. And so I was like, became a Christian and I'm like reading the Bible and it's like, well, this, you should really treat women like this and like this. And so I was like, okay, I got to, you know, figure this out. So I went on this dating fast, and after it was almost over, this new girl shows up at school. And so, you know, college starts like in May and goes till whenever, and then the fall semester starts in January. Well, this new girl shows up in January. She's like six feet tall, blonde, blue eyes. She's gorgeous. And I'm like, who's the new girl? Who's the new girl? And like every other guy on campus was asking the same question, like, where'd she come from? Or like, you know, and, and so, uh, but I was on a dating fast, so I kind of, I just, I didn't say anything to her. I didn't try to like ask her out or anything. I just stepped back because I was on a dating fast. Anyway, long story short, she starts to see my roommate, Mike. And so that's fine, whatever. So I kind of watched them do this little relationship thing for a while. And, and he's just a knucklehead. He is, he's a bonehead. He doesn't know what he has on his hands. He's got a real woman on his hands. I'm talking about the marrying type. So I'm trying to tell him this. And, you know, he just, he's in love with some girl from high school, whatever. So, so he and Jackie break up, okay? <laughs> and I'm like, bonehead, you know. Um, and so... So I wait about a month, and I had some friends saying, you know, you and Jackie make a good couple, and I said, well, I'm on a dating fast, you know, whatever. And then that ended, and I was like, okay, now I'm going to ask her out. So I asked her out, and it was kind of awkward, because I said, hey, Mike, you know, I know that you guys dated, and there were pictures of them in the, in my, in the dorm room. Like, I was like, got to get rid of the pictures if she says yes, you know. You can't have you with pictures of my girl, that'd be awkward, you know. So I start dating Jackie. Man, I fell in love. I fell in love. It's like I, I, everything I was reading about how to treat a woman was put into practice, trying to honor her, trying to, and I was just, I just wanted to be with her. 
I remember thinking I was in, you know, my, in class, like, just, you know, two more minutes, and then I can run over to her class and see her and just be with her. Even if it was for five minutes before I got to go to my next class, I just wanted to be with her, be with her. And, I, and we did that as much as possible. My grades went like this. Because <laughs> all I wanted to do was be with Jackie, you know, and... And so, long story short, we fell in love, got engaged, and uh, borrowed some money from my mother to buy the ring, paid her back shortly after that. Thanks, Mom. Uh, put the ring on Jackie's finger. Then we got into this situation where it was like we're trying to do things God's way, and, and, and what that means is that we're going to wait until our wedding night to, to, to be intimate and all this stuff. And so, the most frustrating part of being engaged and putting a diamond ring on somebody's finger and, and trying to do it God's way was that at the end of the night, when it was 11.30 or 12 o'clock, I had to leave. So if I was at her place, I had to leave. I'd say, okay, bye. If she was at my apartment, she would have to leave. And, and nobody wanted to leave because we loved each other and we were going to get married and we had a ring and all this stuff. And it was this separation every night that just crushed us. And then, and then, and then we had hope. We had hope because we had a date on the calendar. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, we had a date. The wedding day came. The wedding night came. Whoa. Whoa, it was phenomenal. I'll spare you the details, but <laughs> some of you are like, thank God, where's he going with this? My kids are in the room right now. It's like, oh, dad. Let's skip over that part. Here's my favorite part. Here's my favorite part. The night comes to an end, and I look, and I'm like, I don't have to leave. I don't have to go home. We could be with each other. Where's all that come from? This desire to be with somebody and not be separated. It comes from God. And, and, and maybe you're not married and you're not, I'm not, it doesn't even have to be a romantic thing or it's a friendship. Just want to be with people on a Friday night. Just want to be with people Thursday night. You just want to be with people on a Saturday. What, just want to be with people. Where's that come from? It comes from God. God wants to be with you. The end of the book, last chapter of the Bible. God wants to make his home with you. You know, that's the Christmas story. Why did the baby come into the world? Why did Jesus, why was Jesus born that first Christmas morning? Relationship, fellowship. God wants to be with you, wants to make his home with you, wants to walk with you, talk with you, live with you. Now, to a certain extent, we experience that by faith. Paul said it like this, we walk by faith, not by sight. But one day, one day, <laughs> one day we will not need faith because we will see. Listen to Revelation 22. This is what John sees in the new city. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. We talked about that. No death, no disease, no sorrow, no pain, no crying, right? For the throne of God and the lamb will be there and his servants will worship him. And watch this. They will, say it with me, see his face. No more need for faith. Faith will fall away because we will see God with our own eyes. We will behold him. We'll be with him. And then John says this, there'll be no more night there. Did you know there'll be no sleep in heaven? Some of you are like, oh, but I love to sleep. There'll be much better things in heaven than sleep. Trust me. There'll be no need to sleep. There'll be no lamps or a sun. Did you know that there'll be no sun in the new Jerusalem? Because God himself will shine upon them and all of life will come out of him and he will warm everything. Oh, what a place. We'll see him as he is. That's Christmas. 
Christmas. Jesus comes into this world to start this process of being with us. In fact, in the book of Matthew, we, we just heard from the book of Luke in the video there in the book of Matthew, Joseph is getting ready to, uh, to marry Mary. They're engaged and he suddenly finds out that she's pregnant. And he's like, oh, the baby's not for me, so you must have... So he decides he's going to separate from her and, and break it off and not really embarrass her, but he's not going to marry her because she's pregnant and he's not the father. Well, that night an angel comes and says, Joe, you got it all wrong. She's not that kind of girl. She didn't step out on you. She's pregnant, yes, but this baby's from the Holy Spirit. And she's going to give birth to a baby and they're going to call him Jesus and he's going to save his people from, this, from their sins. And then Matthew quotes Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 in chapter 1 verse 23 of the book of Matthew saying this. Look, the virgin will conceive a child and she'll give birth to a son and they will call his name Emmanuel. It's a good name for a church. Which means God with us. Christmas morning is about God beginning the process of, of creating a situation where for a while he'll be, he'll be with us by faith and he'll dwell within us by his spirit. But one day faith will fall away and we'll be able to see his face with our very eyes. Is anyone excited about the hope of heaven or what? We will see Jesus as he is. That's the hope of heaven. Now, when I say that, I know, I know that, 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 that there's some of you that are, that, that's good enough and, and, and all you need is to see Jesus and you can't wait for that day and it's going to be beautiful. But there's others of you who are like, okay, like I already knew that. I knew I was going to see God and, 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 and okay, that's, I guess that's hopeful, but, but what are we going to do? Stare at God for all eternity and sing songs to him for 10,000 years, like amazing grace. Like, what are we going to do? Eternity is a long time, folks. We're not going to stare at God and sing to him forever, okay? No matter how awesome that is, that does sound a little bit like torture, yes? <laughs> what does it mean to go to heaven and have God? Let me give you three ideas. Number one, it means the soul ache is gone. You and I were born with a soul ache, a soul thirst, an itch that can't be quite scratched. Have you recognized it yet in yourself? It explains alcoholism, it explains a drug addiction, it explains pornography addiction, it explains the, your, people's um, compulsive purchasing. Even though you have everything, you keep buying stuff from Amazon. It explains why we get more shoes and more cars and more stuff. It, 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 it explains our behavior. We have this ache inside of us, this soul thirst that can we can never quite satisfy, satisfy but we try, we try. John Orberg, in his book, All Things New, we've been referencing this book in the series, he describes humanity perfectly when he says this, human beings are by nature ravenous creatures. A famished craving haunts every single one of us. We were created for utter happiness, joy, and life, but ever since we lost Eden, talking about the Garden of Eden, we have never known a day of total fullness. We have never been filled in a lasting way. People are like cut flowers. We appear to be well, but we're severed from the vine, and then he says this, we are desperate, lustful creatures. We look to marriage, a child, our work, food, sex, alcohol, adventure, the next dinner out, the next car, why? Anything to touch the ache inside of us. We are ravenous creatures, and he's exactly right. Have you recognized this about yourself? It's why you continually scroll through Instagram and Facebook, comparing yourself endlessly, and an hour goes by, and you're like, what are you looking for? Something that soothed the ache. Something to satisfy the thirst. There's a story in the book of John 
where Jesus interacts with a woman. It's called the woman at the well. Jesus asks her for a drink. She's shocked because Jewish men are not supposed to talk to a Samaritan woman because there's all kinds of racial tension there. And so she responds and says, why are you talking to me? And Jesus says to her in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God, and if you knew who was talking to you, you would have asked me for a drink and I would have given you this thing called, say it with me, living water. She looks at Jesus. She doesn't understand what living water means. She says, you don't have a bucket. The well is very deep. Where are you going to get this water from? She thinks Jesus is talking about physical water. Oh, he's not. He's talking about her spiritual thirst and himself as the satisfaction of that spiritual thirst. So he says to her to try to help her along, whoever drinks the water out of this well will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give them, watch this, will never be thirsty again. This water that they drink will bubble up like a spring coming from the inside out, giving them eternal life. Goes right over her head again. She doesn't understand. She says to Jesus, give me some of this water so I never have to come here to this well again. Fast forward to Revelation chapter 22. The end of the book. The last chapter of the Bible. All the way to the end. Revelation chapter 22 verse 1. John gets a glimpse of the new city, the new Jerusalem. Our eternal home. Revelation 22 verse 1. This is what John sees. Check this out. This is going to be there in heaven. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the land. John sees this, this throne where God and Jesus are there on the throne and out of this throne, not out of the mountain cap with snow on it that's melting. No, no, that's not the source of the river. The very throne itself, God himself, the lamb himself is the source of this water and this river is flowing from the throne and guess who's drinking from the river? You and I, to the satisfaction of our souls. Jesus says to this woman, whoever drinks from this well will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water that I give him, the water that flows from the throne, will never thirst again. She doesn't understand, so he has to push in harder. Listen to what he says. Go get your husband. Go get your husband? She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, I know you don't have a husband. You've had how many? Five. And the guy that you're, you're with, the sixth man's not your husband yet, but you're sure trying to satisfy that spiritual thirst with something physical, and we do the same thing with a relationship, a person, with a product, the next purchase, the next amount of money, the next job, the next car. We are trying to satisfy spiritual needs with physical things, and it doesn't work. And that's why this, this woman's story represents all of our stories. What does it mean to have God in heaven, it means that, that, that itch that you can never quite scratch gets scratched. That, that thirst that you can never quite satisfy gets satisfied. That, that soul ache that you can never quite soothe gets, gets soothed. Years ago, I read C.S. Lewis on this, Mere Christianity. He said this, if I find in myself a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. Bingo. Bingo. There's something inside of you. There is a desire, there's a craving that nothing in this world can satisfy. That doesn't mean it will never be satisfied. It just means you were created for another world. That world is heaven. It'll be here one day. Jesus is bringing it back. Is anybody excited about that? He's coming back to satisfy your soul. 
Not only that, but what does it mean to have God in heaven? It means that the loneliness is gone. The loneliness is gone. We are more connected than ever before as a race, as a, as a, as a human race, and yet we are more lonely as individuals than we've ever been. We're disconnected. Well, in heaven, it's not gonna be that way. See, in heaven, there's a community, there's a family that you're gonna inherit. In Revelation chapter five, John sees this vision of this scroll and no one can open the scroll. And suddenly, one of the elders in heaven, there's 24 elders surrounding the throne, recognizes that Jesus has the power to open the scroll. And when they recognize that, all 24 elders and there's four creatures around the throne, I know that sounds odd, it's in Revelation five, you can read it later. They bust out in this new song, and this is what they sing in Revelation chapter 5. And they sang a new song with these words, you are worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals and to open it up. Why? Because you were slaughtered, and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation, as we saw in the, a little bit in the video there. And what's the point of that? Watch this. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests, a family for God, and they will reign on the earth. What is God doing in history? He's making a family. <laughs> He's creating a community of people in the tens of millions to be with him. See, to get God in heaven is to become part of his family. It's not just to have God, it's to have all of his kids involved. Now, when I say that, when I say that heaven is gonna be a community of people that you will be accepted into, some of you are like, oh man, that doesn't sound like heaven to me. I don't like people. I don't even like my family. That's why I don't like the holidays, because I have to deal with people. That's why I like COVID, because it helps me to get away from everyone. This community is gonna be unlike any community you've ever been part of. This group of people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every language, every part of the earth, this group of people will be totally and completely transformed. And we're gonna talk more about this next week, but they will be restored. And they will have the image of Christ and the character of Christ. Can you, be, can you imagine being around tens of millions of people that are like little Jesuses? And the only thing coming out of them is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and courage and integrity and truth. Oh. It's like having 10 million best friends, 100 million awesome people, and every single one of them are like, oh, you're awesome. No, 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 you're awesome. You, whoa, did you see it? And you're just, and this community, oh, it's God's family. These are God's kids, and they're totally redeemed and totally restored. Nobody can say it like Dallas Willard. Listen to him. The aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving person. Love oozes out of these people with himself, God himself included in this community as the prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. When, when you get God, yes, you get the satisfaction of your soul, but you get the whole family of God and loneliness falls away. You are completely accepted and absorbed into the family of God and you've got hundreds of millions of best friends. I admit that may not sound exciting to you, but man, that sounds exciting to me. That is a hope-filled thought. Loneliness falls away, the soul is satisfied, but number three, something else happens. The emptiness is gone. The emptiness is gone. What do I mean by emptiness? What I mean is that feeling that, that most human beings experience, I would say almost 100% of us experience at some level. It's the, man, what's this all about? You know, 
I don't know what my purpose is. Like everybody says, find your purpose, you know, life, you know, then you, then you can live a good life. I don't know what my purpose is and I don't know what I'm good at. I don't know what my, what my niche is. And gosh, everybody says that, but I don't know. I just have this job that I don't like. And I know I have to keep going because I've got bills and there's insurance to pay and uh, school. I mean, students go to school. What's the purpose of school? Here's what students say. And I understand it, students. When am I ever going to use this in real life? Look, I'm with you. I'm with you. Like algebra and stuff like that. Okay. I shouldn't have said that. Math teachers are out there. Sorry, math teachers. Love you guys. You guys rock. Maybe you will use algebra one day. But sometimes it's like, you know, what's the purpose of it all? And there's this, there's this sense of emptiness. Gallup poll every year puts out the same quote. And I don't know how they validate it, but they do. 70% of employees are disengaged at work. Wow. What does it mean to be disengaged at work? It means you show up and you're, you know, scrolling Facebook. What's she doing? Ooh, they want to. Did you know that Johnson's went on vacation? Disengaged at work. Show up. Don't care. Another study said that 52% of employees are unhappy at their job. Over half of the people you work with, and you're like, dude, you're talking like that's me. I hate my job. But yet, but yet, that's where we spend eight hours a day, nine hours a day, seven hours a day, six hours a day. We're spending our life unhappy. This is emptiness. Heaven is completely the opposite. Heaven is a place similar to earth, because it's going to come down without evil, without crime, without pain. It's going to be much different, but it's going to be similar because we're going to live in a city. It's described in this book by Randy Alcorn. He does a comprehensive study on heaven, appropriately named the book Heaven. (laughs) He talks about the city of God, listen to what he says. He says, everyone knows what a city is, a place with buildings and streets and residences occupied by people and subject to a common government. We all understand that. Cities have inhabitants, visitors, bustling activity, cultural events, gatherings involving, watch this, music, the arts, education, religion, entertainment, and athletics. Whoa. Did you know that there's gonna be sports in heaven? Yes. Yes, there will be. There'll be competitions. There might even be different kinds of sports, sports that we've never heard of, but there will be certainly basketball. (laughs) In addition to all the other ones that God has in mind for us. City, it's a city. What happens in a city? People gather, they sing, there's plays, there's cultural events, there's education going on. You know, a lot of people think that when you get to heaven, um, that, that suddenly God is going to zap all of the information in the entire world into your brain when you show up. Like, kind of like how Neo got all the information, remember, in the first Matrix? Like, no, you missed it? Okay, I'm dating myself. Go back and watch the first Matrix. Make sure it's the first one. Anyway, a lot of people think that, that all this information is going to get zapped into our brains. It's not. You're not going to show up in heaven and be, be, know everything. So what does that mean? There's going, to have, there's going to be a lot of time. We have a lot of time. E- eternity, folks. A lot of time to learn. There's going to be learning. If there's learning, there's going to be educators. If there's, edu- there's teachers, you're going to be able to sit down with someone and say, you know what, I want to learn everything there is to learn about the Civil War. And you grab Abe Lincoln, because he'll probably be there. Abe, come on over. Let's sit down every Tuesday. Tuesday mornings with Abe. Tell me about the Civil War, bro. 
just walk me through the events. Whoa, whoa. I mean, I read the history books, but I didn't know it was like that. And we are going to learn and learn. And there'll be teachers and educators. There'll be painters. There'll be sculptors. There'll be architects. It's a city, folks. Who's going to do all this stuff? Who's going to run the marathons? Who's going to play the baseball? Who? You? Me? Some of you are like, man, I always wanted to be a major league baseball player but I was too short and too slow. <laughs> Guess what? Guess what? Might be, a, might be an opportunity for you. When you get that brand new body, maybe a little bit taller, I don't know. <laughs> maybe able to hit a curveball. not sure. You will be doing what you were created to do and you will love it. You know there's evidence of this on earth right now? There really is. There's a guy named, watch this, ready? Mihai Chicks sent Mihai, okay? That's his name. That's, I, you can look it up. Really, really smart guy, uh, philosopher. And he's done this whole body of research at, on this topic called flow. Some of you heard of it? Yes, flow. Have you heard of it? It's what athletes refer to as being in the zone when someone's just killing it and they're just whatever, just on their game. Well, flow is this state of mind where a person is so engaged in what they're doing, be it playing a violin or playing soccer, whatever it is, and they are just absolutely on another level. They call it in the zone, Right? Well, that is actually a state of mind where a person is completely 100% engaged in what they're doing, their passions are being triggered, their talents are being triggered, and they are producing incredible results, and on top of that, enjoying every moment of it. That's flow. That is a little picture of what your life is going to be like in heaven. See, when we get to heaven... What does it mean to get God? It means that God is going to put you in this little place, this spot, this niche where you, are, you do the thing that you love to do and you were created to do and you make an eternal impact and you love every second of it. It's a city. Again, to quote Willow, Will, Dallas Willard, nobody says it like Dallas. We should think of our destiny in heaven as being absorbed into this tremendously creative team effort, this Family, this all-inclusive family of loving persons with unimaginably splendid leadership, that is Jesus as our leader, on an inconceivably vast plane of activity with ever more comprehensive cycles of productivity and enjoyment. He's describing heaven. We will be doing so much the thing that we love to do. We will be producing and we will enjoy it forever. What does it mean to have God in heaven. Yes, it means to see his face. It means to worship him. We will sing to him. We will adore him. We will give him thanks. We will worship him. And then we will have our souls satisfied. And the loneliness will fall away as we're included into his family. And the emptiness will fall away as we find the very thing we were created to do. I don't know about you, but that gives me a lot of hope. How about you? The hope of heaven is to have God. That very first Christmas morning, the baby comes into the world. Jesus comes into the world. And with Jesus comes hope. Why does he come into the world? He comes in the world because he loves you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. Love unknown is love unfulfilled. He makes you to be his object of love. And if you should so choose to love him back... From cover to cover of this book, what we see in the story of the Bible is that God wants to be with you. Adam goes hiding in the Garden of Eden. He's trying to stay away from God. Who shows up? Who shows up in the garden? God. What is he doing? Looking for Adam. I want to be with you. I know you sinned. I know you blew it. But let's come back together. In the end, Genesis 22, what do we see? We see God making his home with people. 
wanting to be with us. That's what Christmas is all about. Christ came into this world to be with you. Peter says it like this, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners. He died for me, he died for you, why? Because there was something that separated us from God, this thing called sin. Someone had to pay the price. And so instead of having you pay the price for sin, he paid the price for sin, why? So that he could bring you safely, again, here it is, home to God. God wants to be with you was to fellowship with you. So he removed the obstacle that separated us from himself, and that is sin. And then Peter continues, and he says this. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. He was raised to life in the spirit. We don't serve a dead savior. He's not in the grave. Three days later, he came back to life. He arose. The spirit of God resurrected his body. We serve a savior who is alive. And because he's alive, we can have hope. Hope of heaven. Hope of eternal life. Hope that one day all the evil, all the pain, all the misery will be totally transformed. And we will have God himself. If you are filled with hope today, anybody filled with hope today? I, I would love, I would love, all of our campuses, I would love for you to stand to your feet right now and just worship God for that hope and thank him for that hope. Because we, because he is alive, we can have hope. Do you need that hope today? That confident expectation of a good coming. Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus gave us hope. If you would like to have that hope, the hope of heaven, the hope of eternal life, the hope of living in a place where there's no more pain and no more suffering and no more evil, where you get to have God, the satisfaction of your soul, inclusion in his family, finding the very thing you were created to do for all eternity. Trust him today. Christ suffered for our sins. He died for sinners. Why? To bring us safely home to God. All you have to do is reach out to him in faith. I did it when I was 17. I felt that, that hopelessness, that question in my life, like what's it all about? And God gave me this answer. He wants to be with me. He's crazy about you. He wants to be with you forever, walk with you and live with you, make his home with you. Will you accept his invitation? trust him today. Reach out to him today. Pray this prayer. It's a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. Reach out to him and just say this to him. Dear Jesus, I trust you. I believe you died in my place, paid the penalty for my sin. I ask you to forgive me. Cleanse my soul. Make me your child. Fill my heart this very moment with your spirit. Fill my heart with hope. I trust you. I believe in you. Be my savior today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, we want to celebrate with you, don't we, church? Come on, nice and loud, all of our campuses, everyone watching online.
I was so blessed when I did, when I made that decision around 17, 18 years old, I had a friend come to me and he explained to me that I needed to begin reading the scriptures and, and meditating on them and memorizing different passages. And, and so I wanna encourage you in the same way. We wanna put a box on your hand. Inside this box, we call it our saved box. There is a copy of the New Testament. There's some instructions on how to get connected to the church, baptism, and there's also a mug in here, a coffee mug as a gift from us to you to say congratulations. If you prayed that prayer today to trust Christ, just text the word SAVED to 65248. It's on the screen there. We will send one of these to you in the mail. One more time, church. Can we give God glory? Amen. So exciting. God is moving in powerful, powerful ways. Will you pray with me? And then we'll hand things off to our local teams. Heavenly Father, this series has been so encouraging. It continues to encourage us and give us hope. Jesus, you told us you're going to come back one day and you are going to make all things new. And you're going to restore creation. You're going to restore our bodies. You're going to restore our hearts. We look forward to that. Help us to keep that hope in front of us so that we can have strength for today, so that we can persevere and push through the difficulties and the challenges that face us today. Help us to cling tightly to the anchor of our souls, the hope of eternal life. We pray this in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. Right now, we're gonna hand things off to our local teams. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.